settle, I just want to, yeah, let us in on that we are starting a new sermon series today. So we're starting a new sermon series today uh, called uh, We Believe Together. And this is going to be on our statement of faith, what we believe as a church. And so to kick it off this afternoon, we'll be looking at the first article that's listed on our statement of faith, and that is the scriptures. That's the scriptures. And so we're going to be thinking about and looking at the scriptures. And for those of you who may not know, a statement of faith is one of the most important things you must know and look for in a church. Right? When you're looking for a church, when you're looking to uh, yeah, become a member at a church, a statement of faith which details what we believe, what a church believes uh, is, is crucial is of most importance. And so a statement of faith is a document, a spiritual document that outlines what a church believes from the Bible, what the Bible teaches regarding God himself, regarding man, regarding sin, regarding the church, etc., etc. And our statement of faith, which follows the faithful stream from faithful churches throughout the time to the Bible's teaching, is the New Hampshire Confession of Faith from 1853. We require this statement of faith uh, to be affirmed by all of our members or anyone pursuing to be a member upon joining the church, right? And so that's what we're going to look at this afternoon. And just like our <coughs> last series that we were in called Marks of a Biblical Church, where we spent time over four weeks just looking at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, thinking about the early church, the first church, and what they devoted themselves to, my hope, just like with that sermon series, is the same with this one, that it would continue to strengthen us as a church body, and it would shape us, continue to shape us, and continue to deepen our unity in what we believe together. That word together is crucial, as you see in our, our yeah, the artwork, right? What we believe together. Right, as a church. So go ahead and grab your Bible. Uh, as we're going to be jumping around a bit today, uh, this isn't the norm here at CHCC. We, we typically try to work through uh, a book of the Bible expositionally, verse by verse, etc., etc. But the last series and this series, uh, we have taken some time to work through uh, this, you know, this, this topic in a more topical format. And so we're going to be jumping around a bit today. But before we do, let me, let me pray for us again. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this afternoon. Thank you for uh, yeah, how you've already been working in our service by your spirit uh, and through your word, Lord. We pray that you would continue to work, Lord, and uh, that you would be glorified and that you would yeah, be pleased. Would you hide me behind the cross? Uh, yeah, Lord, I pray that no one would see me, but that they would see you and that they would hear you <coughs> as I unfold, unveil uh, what you have said here in your word. And so, Lord, teach us, we pray. Please give us a greater affection and love for, um, yeah, your word. Help us to cherish your word, to adore your word, to love your word. Be with us now. Glorify your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So this should be up on the screen. What we're going to do is we're going to look at our 
first article, the scriptures, it should be listed on the screen, and it's going to be the scriptures. And so this is the first article in our statement of faith. <coughs> I'm going to read through that, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Here's what it reads. It says, we believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. That it has God for its author, salvation for its end, <clears throat> and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. That it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. So this is our first article in what we believe and affirm together as a church, the scriptures. And so to, to break this statement, this first article down a little bit more into little bite sizes, here's our main point for this afternoon. Here's our main point. If you're taking notes, writing them down or putting them in your phone, whatever, here's our main point. It's we believe the scriptures are inspired Inerrant and infallible and instructive. Yes, sir. Amen. That's what we believe. That we believe the scriptures are inspired, that they are inerrant, <clears throat> excuse me, and infallible and instructive. All right? So this will also serve as our outline for the sermon this afternoon. This is going to be the outline. So, number one, inspired. Number two, Inerrant and infallible. Number three, instructive. All right. So let's look at the first one together. Inspired. We believe the scriptures are inspired by God. The scriptures are inspired by God. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. So turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It reads, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? What we see here is that all scripture is breathed out by God. That the scriptures come from God. What this means is, is that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's true word. This is God's word. God inspired word. This is what it means to be inspired. right? That the scriptures come from him. That each word on the pages of scripture is God's word inspired by him. God used men to write the Bible. He used imperfect men to write the Bible, to write the words on the pages of scripture, but it was God himself who was sovereignly guiding the pen. Right? This is what 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 makes clear. That exact point here says in 2 Peter chapter 1, 19 through 21 says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That, that the Scriptures wasn't man's idea, they were God's idea. God's idea. And these are God's words that we, when we open up the pages of Scripture, that we read, that we learn. So men under the divine inspiration of the Spirit wrote the words on these very pages of Scriptures. And so we have 66 books in the Bible. We have 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, one sovereign author, the creator of the universe, God of the universe, one sovereign main author, God himself. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and we know that the New Testament was written in Greek. And from these original languages, the books of the Bible were faithfully copied and translated into English and other languages for us to read, for us to know God. So praise, praise God for the faithful copiers of his word and the faithful translators of his word, but ultimately praise God for himself in providing his word to us. Amen? That God has provided his word to us. So this isn't like the, the telephone game that we used to play back in the day when we were kids, right? You might know what I'm talking about. Like the telephone game was that there was this, this one designated person, right, who you would give a word or a phrase to. And the point of the game was that person was to pass that word or that phrase around to each of his or her friends, right? And what would happen at the end, very rarely, the, the original word that was given, the phrase or the word that was given, necessarily, it, it, didn't, it didn't match the word at the end of the line. Right? Not with God. Not with God. This isn't a telephone game. He has preserved, kept his word from the beginning of time till now and will continue to keep his word until he comes back or takes us home. This is God's word that he has preserved. I mean, just, just think about it. The God of the universe has spoken. He has spoken. That right in and of itself should blow our minds. The God of the universe who has created the heavens and the earth, who's created the trees, the, the, the mountains, and us in his image after his likeness has spoken. And that he's not only spoken, but he's also provided a way for us to know what he said. You would then do yourself a disservice not to listen to him. You would do yourself a disservice not to read and obey what is in this book. I mean, just think about, just look at what he did to get his word to you. Think about that. That's important. That means that this book, this Bible, God's word is of importance. Listen to him, what he has to say. And then obey him. Amen. Amen. Because the Bible is God-inspired, this also means that his word is authoritative. All right? 
that he is the supreme authority, God himself, and that what he has spoken, what he has said, then is authoritative, right? Meaning the Bible for the Christian has a sense of gravitas, right? Has, has, it holds weight, right? God's word is to be then consulted with for all matters of your life in my life, right? And as you consult it, you should do what it says pertaining to all matters of life and godliness, right? So you don't sit next to God's word. You don't sit on top of God's word. No, for us, we are to sit under God's word because it's authoritative. And what he said matters, means much, and we are to pay attention and obey what he says as it holds that weight in our lives. So the question is, does the Bible hold this type of authority in your life? Does God's word hold authority? Is it authoritative in your life? We live in a time, and particularly in our culture, where God's word is, is not seen as God-inspired, for one, but then it's not seen as authoritative. Nobody's ch- checking for, for God's word on matters of life and godliness, right? In our culture, per se. The culture has something to say about marriage and sexuality, race and politics, the church, and the list can go on and on and on. Views, though, that totally go against what God has already said in his word or provided implications for. So the question for us as Christians is, will you stand on God's inspired word or what the culture is saying? We stand on this word, the God-inspired word, or a non-inspired word that's coming from the culture. Even, here's the thing, will you stand on it even when you're being loving in your proclamation, right? You're sharing the truth in love. That's what we are to do as Christians. Share the truth in love, to live in love. So so even when you're being loving in your proclamation, but you're not liked because of your stance, we stand on God's word. Even if it costs you your job, your comforts, and even your life, will you stand on the Bible? This is the call for Christians. This is what God has called all Christians to do and be. We are to stand Amen. on God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen? So may we stand faithfully on this inspired book, this inspired truth. So that's number one. So we believe the scriptures are inspired by God, that they come from God, that God is the author of this book. We also believe, number two, that the scriptures are inerrant and infallible. Inerrant and infallible. So these are words that you won't find in the Bible necessarily, similar to the words like the Trinity, right? The Trinity or the hypostatic union. These are fancy words. Just, yeah, speaking about some, some crucial biblical doctrine. 
But you find these biblical truths expressed in the Bible's teaching, right? Inerrant and infallible, right? The word inerrant means that the Bible is without error, okay? That the Bible is without error, that there are no errors in the Bible. What this means is, is that the Bible in its original languages, Hebrew and Greek, and the copies that have been faithfully copied, and what we have today, were sovereignly preserved by God and kept error-free. This is what inerrancy means. The Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, has no errors. There's no errors. This is the affirmation that the Bible gives of itself. That the Bible itself claims, affirms of itself, its own self. Listen to some passages. You might want to jot these down. I'm going to run through some of these, but the first one is Proverbs 30, verses 5 through 6. It says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. This is Proverbs 35 through 6, John 17, 17, the Lord Jesus praying. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I love this one right here. Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Pure word. Lord Jesus again here in Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Last one, Hebrews 6, verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is, which in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This is just some of the passages that the Bible itself affirms, claims, holds true to it being without error, inerrancy, that the Bible is without error. Because God's word is inspired by him, we looked at that in the first point, and our God is not a God of error, but truth. There are no mistakes in his word. Over and over in the passages that I just read, you see that consistent theme being teased out, being hit on. God's word is without error because God is without error. This is so good. This is so good. Here's, here's why it's so good. 
The Bible is completely trustworthy, reliable, and sufficient. Why? Because that's the character of the author. That's the character of the author. God. Which means, family, friends, you and I can trust every word that God has spoken. We can trust every word that he has spoken. Because this is his character, one of trustworthiness, perfect trustworthiness, perfect reliability, perfect in his sufficiency. He is sufficient. The Bible is inerrant, which means, again, that there are no errors. The Bible is also infallible, which means, check this, there can be no error. Right. So, again, this speaks to to the character of our God in that because God is not a God of error or confusion, anything that he says will be without error, without confusion. So, again, when you think about inerrancy, when you think about that word inerrant, it means that there there are no errors and infallibility means that there can be no errors. There can be no errors. Right? There's not even a, a slight chance that there can be errors because of who God is. To quote Numbers 23, 19 again. It says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? How's trusting God going for you today? How's trusting God going for you today? When we have just looked at and thought about, one, that this word is inspired by him, but then two, this word is without error and that there can be no errors. And again, because this is true and this is in, in tune with who he is, in tune with his nature, his character of being a God without error, being a God who is not a one of confusion, you can trust him. How's that going for you this afternoon? Come on, brother. Do you see how important this is? I mean, different religions, people who oppose God and his word are regularly trying to prove that there are errors in the Bible. Trying to get us to not trust God. Trying to get us to not trust the reliability of his word. God has said what he said, but they may say what he said was an error. That this or that word doesn't mean what is said here. For example, and one of the things that I want to encourage us, as I already know our congregation does, is that for those who do oppose God's word, right, those who are in different religions, we want to love them, right? We want to love them well. We, we, we don't want our lives and the ways we approach in sharing the truth to offend them. We rather let the truth of God's word offend them, right? So in, even in thinking about that, when you think about the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? They have created an unreliable translation of the scriptures. 
untrustworthy translation of the scriptures in that they have added to the word of God to deny the deity of Christ. They added. Or, and I don't know if you guys knew this, or there's a group of people who we want to love well, once again, but who identify as LGBTQ+, or are in support of the lifestyle, that's created a movie, y'all, called 1946, where they are trying to prove that the word homosexual in the Bible was never meant to be there. Never meant to be there. Look it up. There's a group who are legitimately trying to prove that, the trans, that there was an error in the translations. That there was error in what God has said. <laughs> amen, 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 brother. <laughs> so in light of that, saints, you better be in God's word. You better be knowing his word. Maybe even learning biblical languages if you can. Or having faithful hermeneutics to be able to contend for the faith. To be able to know his word and to be able to share his word in truth, in confidence. Because we have groups, we have cults who have been doing this. This isn't new. This is old. But we have cults who are literally trying to disprove the Bible, to disprove who God is. I mean, people throughout history have been or are still trying to disprove, to discredit, and to deny the authority of the scriptures. Again, this is as old as the serpent in the garden, trying to disprove, discredit, deny what God had already said to Adam and Eve. So we as Christians... Got to be up on our game. Got to be in God's word. Studying God's word. Seeking God's word. Asking God to reveal his word, to reveal his truth by his spirit to us as we open his book. May we do that faithfully, family. May we seek to know him more and more. Not not, Not because we're trying to get puffed up with knowledge. Not because we're just trying to learn, 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 learn. But no, it's because we love him. And we want to know more of him and about him. So that we can tell the Jehovah's Witnesses or those who identify as LGBTQ plus and so forth and so forth. That, that no, this, this, this is the word of God. This is what he has said about these particular things. And we want to share these things with you in love. In hopes that you too would be enamored with him, in love with him, knowing him, worshiping him, trusting him as your only hope. That's the goal. We want to see you too come to new life like all of us in the room who have trusted Christ by faith, by his word. That's the hope. That's the goal. The other thing about it is that when we think about God's word, this is why we can trust God's word. I mean, he's, he has orchestrated this whole thing, right? There's no other book that stood this, the test of time. There's no other book that stood the test of time. There's no other book that can claim with truthfulness that it has God as its author. 
the God of the universe as its author, main author. Brother Doug, I don't know if you could pull that up on the screen, but just even in that, I'm not going to walk through that. You may want to take a picture of that and to, to look at that. But if you look, you'll see on the far, my right, the far end of just different works, historical books, in comparison to the scriptures. And then thinking about when it was written, the earliest copy, the time span, and the copies of these books. And you'll look at it and you'll see that when you think about the Bible standing the test of time, that there is no other book in comparison <laughs> to what God has here for us. And we can trust the reliability of God's word and how he has orchestrated it, kept it, sustained it. This is a beautiful thing in thinking about what God has done. So the scriptures are inerrant and infallible. And lastly, instructive. The scriptures are instructive. They are instructive unto salvation. And they have something to say to all matters of life. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. But I'm going to pop us up to verse 14 as well. It says, but as for you, this is Paul talking to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Our verse that we started out with, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So based on this scripture, right, we see that God's word is able to make one wise for salvation through Christ. That's the first verse, right? Verse 14. That is able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want you to see the progression in that passage. I want you to see the progression here in Timothy's life. So this is Timothy. This is the protege of Paul, the apostle. Uh, Paul, yeah, says that Timothy is his spiritual son in the faith, right? And Timothy was scooped up by Paul while Paul was doing ministry. He scooped him up, carried him along with him, started doing ministry and life together, basically discipled him in the faith. So here in verse 14, it says that Timothy believed the scriptures after learning them. So after being exposed to them, how? How was he exposed to them? Well, verse 15 tells us that he was acquainted with the scriptures from his childhood. From his childhood. You may know this, but this is a nod to his mom and to his grandmother. Mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. You can turn there or listen in here, but here's what it says. Here's what Paul says about Timothy's mother and his grandmother. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy's faith was was ultimately a result of God's doing. 
But God used Timothy's grandmother and his mother to faithfully open up the scriptures to him, to, to show him Jesus from God's word, to model Jesus in the way that they lived. And as a result, Timothy came to faith. God's work ultimately, but through the faithful witness of his mother and his grandmother. This is a beautiful thing. This is also a nod to the legacy of the family that's devoted to the word. It's, it's a leg you see, this is legacy here. Grandmother, mother, son. This shows us the legacy of a family devoted to God's word. A, a, a few of us, a few weeks ago or so, we were able to see uh, Pastor Tony Evans live uh, and hear his testimony of his dad and his mom to his family, and then Dr. Tony Evans to his wife and to their family. He was sharing about his life in the Bible. It was a, it was a, a wonderful, impactful time. And, and a couple of things that Dr. Evans said is that at one point, you know, his dad wasn't a Christian, but then God got a hold of him, and it radically transformed their family. He led, you know, him and the, you know, the other siblings to Christ, and then what Dr. Tony Evans has, you know, striven to like strive to do throughout his time with his family has been to yeah, point his children, his wife to Christ, right? What we see here is that a devotion to God's word in the home by his parents transformed Dr. Tony Evans and then he also replicated that in his home and his family was then transformed by the word. So the question is, parents in the room, is this the type of legacy you're leading in your homes? This type of legacy of a family devoted to God's word is seeing transformation come as a result by God's grace. Singles in the room, those who aren't married yet, are you leading this type of legacy now? In preparation, Lord willing, for your potential future family, if the Lord wills. Or in your current disciple and relationships, are you leading this type of legacy? A devotion to the scriptures can change you. And I know this is the, the testimony of a lot of us here in this room, has changed you, is continuously changing you and can change others as we devote ourselves to it. Because the scriptures teach a transformative message. It teaches a transformative message. That transformative message is the gospel, which is the good news. That word gospel means good news. And it's the good news about what God has done. This is what God has done. God has created all of us in his image, after his likeness. And we were made to worship him. He gave Adam and Eve the first command to obey his word. They disobeyed his word after being tricked by the serpent who came to deceive them. But then God promised the seed that was to come through 
through the birth of Mary, the Lord Jesus, who is the word, who comes, who stoops low, the word incarnate, and who dies the death on the cross that we all deserve because of our sin. And it was, wasn't his sin because he had no sin for which he had to go to the cross for, but it was all our sin that he went to the cross and died, was buried. But he didn't stay there long on the third day. He was raised from the dead with all power and dominion, offering salvation to all who would turn from sin, to turn away from disobeying God, but to turn in obedience by faith to God through Christ, receiving his word, receiving his love, receiving what Christ has done on your behalf. And the Bible says once you do that, that you can be saved, that you can be forgiven of all of your sin, past, present, and future. Amen. This is the good news of Christ. And this is the good news of Christ that we want to hold out to you this afternoon, non-Christian. If you are here and you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to get to know him to believe upon him, to trust him, to rely upon him and what he has done. If you would like to learn more about that, it would be my joy, it would be any of the leaders in the worship team, my brother Doug and the AV, to talk with you about that after the service. We would love to yeah, help you start your journey with Christ. For those of us here who do know the Lord Jesus, who have received his word, may we be reminded Again, that this is the word that we are to bank our lives, can bank our lives on. This is the word that we only find our lives in. There is no other word. There is no other truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. This is the word that we have believed by his grace. And that we have to continue to believe and hold out and trust. And even as my brother Brock was praying, this is the word that is applicable to every aspect of your life. There's, there's nothing in your life where God does not have something to say to. That the gospel reaches through the crevices, through the deep, through the, all the nooks and crannies of our lives and has an encouragement for us, has strength for us, has direction for us, wisdom for us, peace for us, hope for us. The word of God has something to say to you. And again, sit under it, believe it, receive it, trust it, and let it reign as the authoritative nature of the Bible that it is in your life. Amen? Amen. 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 So we also see not only are the scriptures able to make us wise unto salvation, but we also see that the scriptures are profitable for teaching, for reproof. How many of us use that word reproof today? Reproof. It's, a, it's an interesting word. That word means rebuke. Right? The word reproof means rebuke or for correction, or for training in righteousness, 
that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As I've already been saying and even thinking about now, of course this is speaking to spiritual matters. Of course this is speaking to spiritual matters. But as I've already said, do you agree, as we've already been seeing throughout this sermon, that God's word speaks to all matters of life, right? That his word is authoritative, that all matters of life can be, should be consulted with his word and with him. To read the opening call to worship verse again, Matthew 4, 4, it says, but he answered, is it written, man shall not live, or it is written, excuse me, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Talk about instructive for all matters of life. We can't live without God's word. We believe that all truth is God's truth because all truth originates with God. So this afternoon, if you're looking for instruction, if you are in need of wisdom on some important life matters, go to God's word. Go to this book where he has something to say explicitly or provides implications for. Think about, as we're coming to a close, Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of God is instructive. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Look to God. You're looking for wisdom? You need an instruction? Find it here, where God can give it to you generously and delights in giving it to you. So we believe the scriptures. We believe the scriptures are inspired by God. We believe the scriptures are inerrant and infallible. We believe the scriptures are instructive. Amen. Let's pray as the worship team comes back up. Father in heaven, once again, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for, yeah, Lord, to be able to come to your word and hear from you. God, I pray that we leave here, that when we leave from here, that, yeah, Lord, we would continue to come to you as you welcome us, as you delight in teaching us, you delight in guiding us, leading us. Pray, Lord, that for us as Christians here, Lord, that we would continuously consult you on everything and that we would find the wisdom, the grace, the hope, 
that we're all looking for in you and in your word. For those who may not know you, that they would, yeah, that they would stop looking elsewhere to find what they are really in need of and really searching for and longing for in you. But that they would see you, that you would reveal yourself to them from your word. And that you would put your spirit in them and cause them to walk in your ways and to devote their lives to you. Lord, help us all to devote our lives to this word. Help us to, yeah, to sit under it, but to stand on it in every way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.